So I had a really interesting week last week that started with a sudden death and uh, has ended with a, a nail polish allergy. Somewhere in between those two large events, <laughs> um, distinctly different events, I might add, but large events nonetheless, at least in my life, I tried to record an entire podcast episode for you and I got halfway through and realized my mic was off. So, uh, here we are. I've conveniently lived to tell about it, and now I'm going to put it into a podcast episode for you because, um, why not, right? Uh, I've got a lot of good topics to touch on today. Let's start with my somewhat humorous but morbid story about a sudden death in my life. Ready? Okay. It was an average Thursday. I was going to my normal weekly massage with B. I just happened to put on a little black dress that day, just a cotton little number because she was feeling herself, thinking she could just roll in, no makeup, little black dress, get lubed up with coconut oil, rub down in a very non-sexual fashion, and then leave and take a little visit to my parents and then head back home. That is not how the day ended up going. I went to my massage. I exited my massage with a phone full of missed calls and text messages that said, Amy, call me. I have to break the news to you. Now, let me clarify something for you. First of all, don't ever text somebody, I have to break the news to you, unless it's talking about a death. That is the number one, if not number two, indicator of somebody died. The other one, which came in another text, are you sitting down? Don't say these things to anybody in your life unless you are letting them know somebody has dropped dead. Now, somebody had dropped dead, so there we have it. I'm just trying to let you know a preventative measure for miscommunication. Don't say those two things unless we're referring to death. So I get on the phone with one of my godchildren who informs me that his grandfather has passed away. Now, before you you know, feel too horrible about the sudden death. I mean, it's sad, nonetheless. Death is sad. Uh, you see, I seemingly handle it a lot better than, like, an animal dying. I know I'm sick, twisted, and fucking weird, but the truth of the matter is is that I do cope with human death a whole lot better than I would ever cope with my dog dying, given the fact that we had a very interesting relationship and an emotional connection and bond with each other. But I was very close with this individual. They lived in the house when I nannied for the family. Uh, I looked at him like a grandfather. I am grandparentless. My grandparents all passed away a long time ago when I was younger. So, you know, the years that I worked there, I kind of looked to him like a grandfather figure and he took me like one of his grandchildren. Needless to say, he's had heart conditions. He's a little bit older. This was coming, uh, but we thought it was coming probably about 10 years ago. <laughs> 
And this man, like his dog, just kept fucking kicking. Now, let me give you a little side story on Pedro, his dog. Pedro is like a mixed pug with something else. I don't know where they got him, where they found him, whatever. Pedro loved and adored me because I was very attentive to him, always changed his water and whatnot. But this dog was a pill popper, and this dog liked to pop antacids uh, uh, nitros for your heart. If you, if you're familiar with heart conditions or you have family members that, that are medicated for heart problems, then you are probably familiar with a nitro. He would pop grandpa's pills pretty much. He also would chow down on chocolate chip cookies and, um, Rolades and anything else that you left around. This dog has outlived Dewey. Okay. But I was updated at this funeral that he is now missing an eye. So there we have it. Pedro, the one-eyed dog, that's a pill popper. The pill-popping one-eyed dog outlived the old man. So let's go back to the old man now, all right? Now you got a little a little understanding of how this man rolls, okay? He, he on many occasions, like I had to rush this man to the hospital several times while working in that house because he was having a heart attack. He has had so many heart attacks and survived. It's impressive. It really is. He deserves a medal and a star on the walk of freaking shame. Not shame, fame. (laughs) I mean, truly, it could really go either way. So I get this phone call from one of my godchildren, and he basically is like, Bapo, that's what we call him in their language. That's what grandpa means in their language. So Bapo passed away. And he's like, "Uh, I'm so sorry that it took us so long to call. I said, oh, well, when did he pass away? Now we're on a Thursday. This was last Thursday. We're on a Thursday. He says last Friday. I'm thinking you waited a whole fucking week to tell me, okay, I'm not going to react because you're my godson. That's number one. And that's your grandpa, not my grandpa. I was very mindful of that in the moment, even though it kind of stung that I found out a whole week later. Then he goes, we've been planning the funeral. And I said, okay, very calmly. I said, when is the funeral? And he goes, well, that's the thing. It's in an hour. Y'all, it was three o'clock in the afternoon. I was covered in coconut oil, no makeup on my face in a little black dress with flip-flops and chipped nail polish. And this child is telling me that in one hour now, where I had to drive was about 30 minutes away, okay, from where I was. In one hour, a funeral was happening for someone who was pretty important to me, and I am literally dumbfounded. I don't know what to do. It's a lot of emotion. And so I very calmly, because I thrive in fucking traumatic moments, just very calmly said, okay, thank you so much. I will be there. I had not even thought this through. I will be there. I'll text you when I'm closer, when I'm going to arrive. And he said, okay, again, I'm so sorry. It took us. So I said, you don't even worry about that. It's not personal. I understand. No problem. I'll see you soon. Click. And then I hung up that phone and I froze. Now, if I'm reflecting on this moment, I am very proud of myself because that was never done for me when I was a kid. Nobody was ever mindful of my feelings in a moment where I was the vulnerable one. I looked at this, even though I was receiving sudden information that was making me emotional, 
I was capable of regulating myself and being very conscious of a reaction that I could potentially have and all of the words that were going to leave my mouth from that point forward. And recognizing that this child not only was put in the position to inform me, who was who's a pretty important person in that family as well, okay, he was put in the position to call me or he did it on his own accord, which says so much about his character, I'm not even going to get into that. But he's also, he's dealing with it. He's dealing with it and now he's put in this situation. Like I was so aware of all of those factors that it was like, my feelings matter, but my feelings do not need to be projected out onto this individual in this very moment. What this individual needs is a loving response, understanding, and empathy for what he's dealing with, as well as what I may be feeling in regards to this death. Now, my next moves were not fully thought through, But I had to act fast because I had received information that I did not have time to process. And I know a lot of you have been in those moments as well because I hear from a lot of you and you say, like, how do you do this in real time? Like, when you get sudden information that has you emotional or reactive to it, how do you... How do you behave? How do you make a decision? How do you have a conversation? Like, what do you do? Well, you do the next natural thing that you're supposed to do or what you think you're, well, let's just re, let me me communicate that better. Not what you are supposed to do because you know I don't like the word supposed to. It's more so what you feel is right for you to do in that moment. So I knew, hands down, I'm going to this funeral that's non-negotiable, but I did not know the in-between because I didn't feel put together. I had some makeup on me, like some powder and stuff, but I also knew this family is going to be all dressed to the nines and done up. That's just the way they even clean their freaking house. Like the nails are done, the toes are done, the fancy sandals, the outfits, the whole nine yards. And like... I'm a pretty girl. Let's be real. I'm naturally pretty. But if I don't feel good about myself walking into an environment, I'm not going to carry myself well. And then I'm not going to behave my best and not because I'm not feeling my best. So it's my responsibility individually to make sure that I feel my best so then I behave my best, right? Because then I'm thinking my best. Needless to say, the first phone call I made was to my boyfriend. <laughs> and I wanted to inform him that like, hey, I'm not getting home at the same time that I had planned to get home at because I just was informed of a sudden death. And his next comment was the most loving, supportive thing that I could have asked for in that moment, which was, how can I support you? What do you need? Do you want me to bring you anything? I'll meet you halfway because where I live was in the opposite direction that I needed to go in. And he was at my apartment. So he's like, can I bring you anything? Do you need an outfit? Do you need shoes? What do you need? How can I support you? That is one of the most loving statements that anyone can make to anyone in a moment of of uh, emotion, of vulnerability, of sadness. How can I better support you? What can I give you? And so as he said that, I had a moment to think and I said to him out loud, because sometimes y'all talking shit through, I mean, hence this entire freaking podcast, talking shit through really helps you get some clarity. So being on the phone with him, which is a safe space for me, I was allowed, I was able 
And I allowed myself to then kind of process a little bit and say, well, I'm already wearing a black dress. So outfit is like done, but I don't feel comfortable in the shoes I'm in because I've got chipped toenail polish and I just, I know how this family is. I'm going to walk in and I'm going to feel all eyes analyzing every inch of my body. So to my best ability, I'd like to pull my shit together and feel confident for myself just knowing what I'm walking into. And he's like, okay. And he immediately went into my closet and basically collected a whole bunch of shoes and got in the car in the middle of his work day, mind you, and met me halfway to give me those shoes, to save me time, to support me. Um, So loving, so supportive, without a question. From that point, I was on the phone just because my sister had reached out to me uh, in the midst of this. She didn't know what was going on, and I informed her. And so in the midst of that, I'm on the phone in the car picking up these shoes. I'm on the phone with my sister and I'm telling her because she knows the dynamic. She knows my relationships with these people. I said, you know, I'm really hurt. I'm really, really hurt. And I'm trying not to walk into this environment feeling hurt or feeling angry because I'm well aware it's not the time or place. But I'm so hurt that I was the last to know because when I worked at this house, I was the first to know everything. And no, I didn't expect to be the first to know, but I definitely have never been the last to know when somebody dies in that family. Uh, It shocked me. And it shocked me that I didn't even hear it from like my former boss. I heard it from my godson. Um, And my sister was able to, in that moment, because she's removed from the situation, put some things in perspective for me and remind me that like, this is your boss's father, right? And I'm sure there was no harm meant by it. You know what your relationship is to these individuals. You know, she goes, we, we have our parents. She goes, I can't even imagine what she's dealing with. And that then prompted me to think and reflect on the fact that when I worked there, my boss's husband passed away when I worked in that house. And when her husband passed away, her father kind of stepped in as like the man in her life to kind of support and take care of her in many different ways, right? And I started to piece this together out loud on the phone with my sister and say, yeah, you know what? That makes so much sense. Like this is probably really devastating to her because When you look at it point blank, right, in a very binary sort of way, then what you see is like your dad was old. He had a lot of heart attacks. We were well prepared mentally for this to happen at any point in time. But you forget the context. And I can't emphasize this enough in everything I talk about. Context is so important. When you add in, when you inject in the context, well, then it makes so much more sense because, yeah, This is going to be devastating to her. She's already lost her husband. It was only two years ago she lost one of her brothers. And now her father has passed away. And these were three men in her life that she looked to. And now she doesn't seemingly have that. Of course, being that I'm super close with this individual, why would you not maybe want to get on the phone with me? Well, if you're trying to hold it together for the rest of your family or even just for yourself because you can't deal with it yet, The last person you might want to talk to is the person you feel the most comfortable with who can see right through your bullshit, which would be me. So that was very helpful as well, right? Support comes in many ways, right? Like just talking to my sister on the phone allowed me to kind of process even more information after having talked to my boyfriend, which allowed me to get some clarity on my next steps. 
Now, I've shared this many times. My mother has never been the one that I might turn to in my emotional times of of turmoil or stress or pain because she reacts to my vulnerability. She reacts to my tears. She doesn't know how to navigate that moment. I need a strong tree, right? You've heard me reference this so many different ways, so many different times. And and that's just not the role she has ever played for me. And that's okay. She plays other roles but not that one. And and yeah, it took me many years to come to terms with that because, of course, you want your parents to kind of meet those emotional needs and, you know, trauma and all of that in between. We're now at a place where it's like I accept this individual for who they are and how they are and what their limitations are in my life. And therefore, no, not my first phone call. It's like my third or fourth phone call, and that's okay. What I needed from her was I needed to pit stop at her house, use her bathroom, use some of her makeup, pull my stuff together, and then get in the car and get to this funeral home. So I give her a heads up, and of course, because now I'm a little stressed and and panicky, like I and and I know who I'm about to talk to. And this is the problem when you're a child navigating this with with an emotionally immature adult. You don't have the ability to regulate yourself as a child quite yet to try to navigate that conversation. So you just go to the parent who's emotionally immature with your tears and then you and then you get more tears from them, which then causes you more confusion and pain because you're looking to them to calm your tears and calm your pain. And so it's already a stressful situation, but to have to navigate a conversation like this is also stressful in that in that moment and so I knew that so I was already the minute I called I knew I had to just be very direct very short and very clear about what I was going to need but I'm also a human being and I'm also dealing with a death right and so even though I can kind of break it down for you a whole week later and and say to you here's how this went and here's why it went this way in that very moment I had a lot of emotion that was just stewing inside of me. And sometimes it's going to come out in certain ways. So I get on the phone with her and I'm trying to just be very calm and clear because that's what she responds best to. And I'm saying, I'm coming back to your house. I just got notified of a sudden death. And then, of course, she just can't keep listening. She's like, who died? And I'm like, now I just get angry because in my mind, I'm calling you, I'm giving you directions the way I know how to do because this is how you respond well and this is how I can navigate this relationship and now you're throwing me off course and I don't have the ability to navigate this right now. So then I just shouted and then she doesn't know what to do at that point because all I did was shout his name and I said, listen to me and she hung up the phone. And that's that's what happens when you are when you're an individual navigating something, you're you're an individual who's dysregulated, navigating a a conversation with an individual who's always dysregulated. I always have to be the mature, responsible, regulated one in our conversations and our interactions. And so when I'm weak or I'm down or I'm sad, it's very difficult to navigate a conversation with her. That's just how it's always been for me, okay? 
And and so that's what transpired. It just blows up. And then my mom doesn't know how to cope in that moment. So she just hangs up on the uh, hangs the phone up on me. <laughs> she doesn't like conflict and she doesn't know how to navigate conflict. And I hear from a lot of you guys, you don't like to navigate conflict or even know how to navigate conflict. And really, the way to navigate conflict starts with working on your confidence. And, and processing any level of trauma or pain you've got attached to conflict because really your fear about conflict is a fear from a past experience where maybe somebody abandoned you, neglected you, attacked you, or abused you in a moment where they disagreed with you, right? Or in a moment where they were a little dysregulated or emotional or reactive or whatever. You got to work on that. And then you also simultaneously have to work on your confidence and your ability to communicate because conflict can't be avoided. It's going to happen even when you're in the most loving, supportive relationship ever. You're going to bump into resistance. If you run away and you slam the phone down every time you bump into it, that's one hell of a roller coaster ride I don't want to get on. So then the normal behavior pattern that takes place after something like that is that my mom is very nervous to be around me because she doesn't know, am I going to scold her? Is she going to receive a punishment? This clearly comes from her childhood and I'm well aware of that. So I'm always very mindful of being kind and reassuring next time I see her with knowledge that like, no, her reaction is not my responsibility. But for me to navigate a conversation or ask for support or anything in that moment I can't create more tension. I'm not going to achieve the outcome that I'm desiring. Therefore, I just, you know, start to communicate in a very clear way to her. Could you please, you know, when I walked in the house, could you please get me some mascara, uh, eyelash curler, this, that, and the other thing. And she, and then she had clear direction and she was like, yes, and kind of ran off and got it and then brought it to me. And I said, okay, can you come in here and and then I'll be able to talk to you while I'm getting ready because I'm a little overwhelmed. And she was like, okay, sure. Like my mom responds really well to just clear, direct, uh, well, clear direction. Well, just put it that way. Clear direction. When you leave any wiggle room or you add in too much emotion, that's kind of where she, um, she struggles a little. So, and I've learned this through trial and error and obviously a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of processing and a lot of work on myself and and those parental relationships that I have. So she sat down. I was able to then have a full-fledged, uh, easy conversation with her about what transpired, how I was feeling while I was doing my makeup in the middle of this. Oh, y'all. In the middle of this, I go to curl my eyelashes and her eyelash curler ripped out a chunk of my eyelashes. I've never had this happen before. I don't know what took place. Like the eyelash, it didn't look like there was anything wrong with the eyelash curler. And it worked on my one eye just fine. But on my other eye, it literally ripped out the, the center chunk of my eyelashes. And of course, now I'm dysregulated again. I react to this and snap. I, oh my God, here I came to this house to pull my shit together. Like I'm feeling all sorts of different ways. I feel very disheveled because again, although a naturally pretty girl, I'm literally smothered from head to toe in coconut oil. My hair is a little bit greasy and I had no dry shampoo on me. Okay. And I always have dry shampoo on me. I didn't that day. 
And I just like, I didn't feel equipped or prepared to walk into this and, and skipping it was not an option in my mind. And now I have missing eyelashes. Well, I went through the effing roof. I looked at my mom and I go, your eyelash curler just ripped out half my eyelashes. And she goes, what? What do you mean? And I'm like, you're now I'm just like pissed. And I know it's not her fault. But of course, when you're not the most regulated in a moment like this, you react. And then she says to me, well, no wonder I have no eyelashes on either eye. And I just gave her the worst devil stare ever. And she went, ha ha, never mind. <laughs> Left me alone. But this woman has been complaining to me for the last year or so that she lost her eyelashes and she kept thinking it was like old age. And I kept giving her different remedies to grow them back. And she kept saying, I don't know what happened. I have no lashes anymore. And now we have found out why. Because apparently this woman has an eyelash curler with a fucking razor blade on the end. I kid. But I don't know what's wrong with it. It literally took out a chunk of mine and she's missing all of hers. And I just looked at her and I said, do you understand that I just came here to pull all of this together and now I feel like I'm even more of a mess? And she's like, I'm sorry. I don't." I said, I'm not blaming you, but I'm trying to express myself right now. And, and this just added more shit to the pile that I was already dealing with. So I leave from there somehow managed to do all of that that I just conveyed to you in like less than an hour, left from my parents, raced to the funeral home, and somehow I am the first one there. Yes, ladies and gents, that is correct. She was the last to know of the death. She was the last to know of the funeral. She ran all over town in different directions to pull her shit together, and she still was early for the funeral. I walk into this funeral home. They've got security at the front. They check my phone, okay? They take my phone from me, and they said, let us see if the family's ready for visitors yet. And I said, now there was like, there were some cars in the back of the parking lot, but like there was absolutely no car but mine in the front of this funeral home. I'm thinking, I don't even know who's here. Uh, I said, okay, could you let them know it's Amy? Like they know who I am. And, and the security guard was like, absolutely. Went in, I see my former boss walk out, walk right up to me grab me and start sobbing on my shoulders and it was in that moment that it all just clicked and I was no longer upset I was no longer angry any feeling of confusion about why was I the last to know this is unfair I feel disrespected all of these things that I had swirling inside of me for the last hour or so left me in that moment because it clicked you ever have those moments, right? And it could be, and I say this with respect, it could be the dumbest shit sometimes that makes it click. The dumbest shit. I've been in so many situations in my life where I'm not getting it, I'm not getting it, I'm not getting it. It doesn't matter how good somebody says it to me. It doesn't matter how much reassurance I'm getting or validation from another person. 
But on a random day, in a random event, without even trying, it clicks. And it was that moment that made it click. And I was like, I get it. It makes sense. I don't even need to process this further. I'm good. And so I just, I went on with my evening, morning, and and seeing the family and what have you. And there was a few brief conversations with family members and children where they were apologizing to me. And I was confident and grounded and clear in my mind at that point to be able to say without lying, without hesitation, there it's not personal. I'm not offended at all. It's okay. Anytime they tried to apologize and say, you know, we're so sorry you were the last to know and whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm fine. I'm fine. I got there in an hour. (laughs) It took me an hour to get there, but I got there and I was good. And and I and I was proud of myself. I was proud of myself that I was not only extremely mindful of the majority of the conversations that I had leading up to that point, you know, give or take a few reactive moments with my mother, which, you know, I'm I'm a human being. She's my mother. Um, <laughs> but I was a especially mindful of the conversation I had with my godson and then when I saw all the kids and my two godchildren there uh, and and spent a lot of time with them supporting them I really felt in that moment that it it didn't matter how many hoops I had to jump through to get to that point I knew how how potent and pivotal my presence at that funeral whether I showed up late or not, it wouldn't have made a difference. My presence meant so much to those kids. Um, they've, uh, like I said, when I worked there, they lost their father. They, two of them lost their father two years ago. Um, the other two, that was their uncle. Now they've all lost their grandfather. They've had it rough. These are significant men in their life. They're all boys. You've heard me talk about them many times. And they know, and I've demonstrated through matching, not just my words to my actions, but my my actions to my words. I've shown them when I say I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. When I say I'm here for you and I support you, Amy is there for you and supports you. I've shown them through my actions. I've shown them through my words that I mean every bit of what I say. I embody it to the fullest. And I did what I had to do in between that phone call and me being in their presence to work through my own bullshit to be able to be a strong tree for them. And here's the thing about me. I thrive in these traumatic, dramatic times because I've always had to be that um, responsible party in the situation. I always had to take the lead somehow. I always had to be the decision maker. So my nervous system works in reverse. When something traumatic happens, I'm calm as a cucumber and 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 I'll feel things, but I can be proactive and make decisions and plan. Like if this was a situation where it was something that I had to kind of make decisions on or take the lead on, 
I've done it so many times. I can do it with my eyes shut. Uh, I wasn't in that role this time, but until I got to the funeral home and I knew the role I played in these children's lives. Uh, But leading up to that, yeah, I had my moment where I was able to kind of process and feel and express myself, but not completely because it was only like an hour between getting that news and then having to kind of turn all that off in the interim and and be a support system for them. And this happened when I worked in the house and um, my my boss's husband at the time, um, my boss at the time, her husband, sorry, he passed away. I worked in that house every day. And I, I had to show up that day. I had to show up the next day and so on and so forth. I didn't grieve that death until four months out. I didn't feel it. I didn't let myself feel it because I didn't feel I could. They were feeling it. That was their her husband. That was their father. Um, the other children in the house, that was their uncle. And then again, two years ago, because that was a long time ago. That was like about, a I don't know, eight or more years ago. Then two years ago, the other two children, because four of them are cut, well, they're all cousins with each other, but the other two that were there, their father died. So that was my, I'm not going to explain. I think you're following. Their, Their father died, uncle to the two children who already had lost their father with me. So it was like re-traumatizing for two of them and the other two are now like fatherless, right? And so again, I was able to cope with that differently because I didn't work there, but I wasn't able to cope in the moment that I was being there for the children because I, again, do the thing that wasn't done for me. I kind of pause all of that emotion. I try to regulate it in the moment to be mindful of of the child in the situation. So I thrive when situations like this happen. And to say it's a proud moment is a confusing statement to make, probably for a lot of people listening. But I I would say, you know, I have a small badge of honor in reference to it because I've been through some shit. I know a lot of you have too, so I'm not I'm not staking claim as I've been through the most shit. It's not com- it's not a competition here. I just I've been through some shit. I I can handle a lot of shit. I've always had to handle a lot of shit. So in this case, it was kind of like muscle memory. Pause it while at the funeral. I got home from the funeral, and I had a lot of love and support from my boyfriend after that. But I really didn't allow myself to cry until two whole days later. It didn't hit me until two days later. So I want to kind of close with this because I've, I've been asked a lot to speak about grief and death. And yes, I've, I've had podcast episodes where I've spoken about Dewey and touched on some of these topics. But I want to speak on that point, but also in general when it comes to dealing with anything in your life. Everybody's reactions to things are individual to them. There's no right or wrong way to grieve. There's no right or wrong way to deal with certain situations that come up, which is why when, you, when, when you're somebody who works with me privately, right, everything is personalized to your needs. It's not this, this one-way 
kind of process because you can't do things the exact way Amy does them because you're not Amy and you didn't have Amy's experiences, right? It has to be individualized. And I I just want forever for whoever is listening right now, and I'm also saying this very much for myself, I want to give you permission to grieve the things that you have going on in your life that have hurt you in whatever capacity. Grief doesn't have to just relate to death. It can be a breakup. It can be a loss of a of a perception you had of someone, of a relationship you had with someone, of a change in a relation. Like it could be so many things, right? Maybe it's a loss of like the way you were living life, and even though that might not have been ideally what you wanted forever, wasn't maybe even the healthiest, maybe it's maybe it's a loss of that, right? And, and it's important to really feel all of that and address it, but there's no timeline. So there's no right or way to do, right, 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 right or way, right or wrong way. Sometimes I speak faster than I think or vice versa. There's no right or wrong way to do that. You know, it took me two days after that moment and I was in the middle of a workout where it actually hit me and I just started bawling my eyes out. I was all alone. So, you know, I think a lot of factors were at play there. I was by myself. I had a moment. I was moving my body. It was stirring up uh, emotion and I just cracked and let it all cry out. Let it happen. When it happens, let it happen. Give yourself permission to feel it. And and more times than not, you won't allow yourself to if it's at an inconvenient hour or inconvenient environment, right? If you're at work, if you're going to an event, if you've got someone coming over later, if you got to see someone the next day. I worked the next day I was with my boyfriend from that point into into the day that I then cried. Not that I can't cry in front of certain people. It was just more like I didn't have a uh, I didn't have the space for it to really hit me the way it did until it until it did. And and then when it did, I allowed it. No matter whether I really wanted to cry in that moment or not. I mean, ideally, I was trying to do squats, and then I just stopped and bawled my eyes out. But, you know, <laughs> beggars can't be choosers. Uh, so that's it. I gave, you, I gave you so many things within the story, which might be a little bit different than previous episodes where, like, I kind of, like, give you one big chunk at the end of an episode. I, I kind of in, in, intertwined it within my story So, you know, more or less to keep you entertained, but also because that's how I reflect on things. I hope you found the value that I tangled up in this episode for you, and I will talk to you next week.